Everyone knows Law Matters was created to open the lines of communication between law enforcement and the community. Over the course of the last year, we have become painfully aware of the very negative headlines national media projected across the country regarding all law enforcement agencies. Over the last several months, and after numerous investigations, we have learned that these negative headlines did not tell the whole story, but rather painted a picture designed to diminish the rule of law and those whose job it is to enforce it. Law Matters wants you to hear all the facts so you can decide for yourself. As these investigations conclude, these stories will be featured on our Truth Matters page on lawmatters1030.org website. Now, let's start the show. Good morning, everybody. Speaking of the news, we have Tucson Police Captain Tim Reese coming on to to tell us what's going on. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. Thank you. So... Can you, I know everybody's heard what happened in Tennessee, and it's been all over the news, and I constantly tell people that does not reflect Arizona in any way, shape, or form. Can you talk to us about this? Sure, absolutely. Um, This is one of those things that, obviously, when uh, something of this magnitude hits the the law enforcement community and and hits the the nation as a whole, um, it kind of, it it rocks us and it, it kind of rocks us to our core. And, and our chief was for the Tucson police department was pretty quick to come out and, and issue a statement. Uh, and he actually put out a new, a, uh, a news media release. And I'm not sure if you, if you have a chance to see that to try and, and really address the issue, because it is something that it really shocks us to the core as far as not only law enforcement as a country. And, you know, the, br- the brutality that Mr. Nichols um, suffered when we talk about the Tyree, Nichols situation. Um, it was completely it's an inexcusable death. Um, it left everyone, including the police officers, uh, the, the nation as a whole, the community of Memphis, um, disgusted. Uh, we were infuriated, um, heartbroken, outraged. There were just a, a lot of um, a lot of feelings with that. So I, I actually applaud your your show for being willing to tough tackle such a tough topic. Because this is something that um, there needs to be discussion about it. There needs to be discussion about how to move forward. Um, you look at a situation like this, and it, the way it came in, there's no excuse for their actions. And ultimately, they end up betraying their oath, mm-hmm. disgracing our profession as a whole, um, and just casting ultimate shame. And you know, our agency, as, a, as far as the Tucson Police Department, the statement that our chief issued out, I mean, as if I can read part of it, it actually talks about condemning, in the strongest possible terms, all inappropriate and unlawful use of force. You know, as police officers, we have a solemn duty to protect and serve, and that's for our entire community, not just any one part. Um, and the way we do that is through building genuine relationships that can successfully uh, bridge that gap. And it's trust and responsibility that really makes that work. And it's the Tucson Police Department, we're committed to doing that. And, and the way we do that um, when tough things like this come up is we make sure that as one of the larger agencies in the country, we're one of the largest 70 uh, of the 18,000 agencies out there. We're one of the largest 70, and, and our chief and our department has the responsibility to be one of the leaders in this area. And so the way we get ahead of that is to make sure that we are providing all the training that's necessary uh, to our officers. We need to make sure that there's community involvement in our department, um, such as oversight. Um, we have a, <clears throat> a police advisory review board for the community that actually randomly selects our internal and external complaints. Um, and they will go through those with a fine tooth comb to make certain that all of our uh, 
there's no stone left unturned, that we've dotted all our I's, crossed all our T's, and we've done a good, thorough, complete investigation that's fair for the community and for our department member. They do this once a month. They review uh, multiple cases, and there's ways that we have uh, oversight with them or through them. Our independent police auditor also is, is one that um, our department, we believe in true transparency. So, And that's how we get past these kind of situations in life. Our independent police auditor is a way that uh, he will – uh, be available to take complaints directly from community members if they don't feel that there's enough trust to come in and talk to us. Um, of course, people could come in and, and they could call us over the phone. They could, we take complaints in person. Um, we take online complaints and start investigations. But um, we also even have a partner that, with the independent police auditor where this person is a, a good representative representation for uh, the community just to have a good liaison uh, back and forth. Yeah, and it's, that's really important. I think the thing that struck me the most was there were five of them, more than five of them apparently, but they didn't stop each other. You didn't have any one of them saying, hey, that's enough, stop what you're doing, or, you know, this is wrong. None of them did that. And to be honest, ma'am, that's exactly what most of us, that most of my friends and most of my colleagues here, when we saw that, that's one of the things that shocked us the most as well, is you, you look at this um, situation and it, it's just amazing to see a group of officers that all um, acted in such a way. One of the things that our agency has done um, through that is we actually have two types of training that we've, we've pushed out a lot of training and it started back in, well it's been going on for quite a bit, quite a while, but I'd say probably back in 2017 we started looking at how we do use of force. We started changing some of the things where um, there's three levels of review now that are required for any use of force situation where we use a hard impact or we take someone to the ground. Uh, and that requires a supervisor to actually go on scene to begin the investigation. Uh, in addition to, to that, we also look at um, a wider variety of uses of force to include even uh, reporting gun pointing. If we take our gun out of our holster and point it at someone in the course of our duties, um, we're required to report that because we want to capture that data. We want to show what our department's doing out on the streets um, yeah. because it's we believe in true transparency. The training I was kind of alluding to is some of the, the things we've actually done a couple of trainings where there's one that's called integrating communications assessment and tactics training. It's called ICAT, where there's a lot of um, scenarios where you put people in high stress situations to, to train them to, to work through it. But the biggest one when it comes to this kind of situation is there's a training out there called active bystandership for law enforcement, also known as ABLE training. And the ABLE training is something where we talk with our officers, and it, it teaches us about the obligation to intervene when someone else is in a high-stress environment and they, there's, they're operating too far um, into what we call the red, right. where they are, they're not controlling themselves. Our officers are actually trained to intervene in that situation because we don't want unnecessary harm coming to anyone that's detained. I can't speak to the Memphis situation, um, whether that, you know, as far as the, the level of harm, because that was completely... Um, you know, that wasn't a case of someone making a simple mistake from what we see on, on uh, the video. Um, but it was something where people got way out of uh, control in the, the bigger picture of use of force. Yeah. And that, those trainings of ABLE, what we're seeing is we train people to, you come into a hot situation, it's uh, very dynamic, and we're training people to uh, quickly recognize that and find ways to meaningfully intervene and stop that from happening. I recall actually going through one of those trainings in scenario myself uh, as a commander, 
where uh, we go in and, and an officer in the scenario is um, crossing the line and, and to the point where they are losing control. And you can just tell that it's like, okay, this person needs to, they are uh, in a stressful environment and they can't control themselves. So that training is something we've been pushing out to our agency for, for quite a while. Um, and it's, it's been very helpful in the, in the sense of, you know, um, we're trying to stay ahead of it. And once again, to, to try and lead the, the country, our area of the country, whoever in law enforcement with, uh, that's what I think listeners need to know, that the Tucson Police Department is a leader in a lot of areas, and this is one of them. And we really don't have the issues that... I've, I've traveled all over the United States, and there are some areas that are... The attitude is a lot different than it is down here, including Chicago, where I'm from. And, well, and ultimately, it all comes back to you have to have the culture on your department set to where it's it's not appropriate. And in, in our agency, I've been doing this job for it'll be next month, it'll be 28 years. And the culture in our agency has never been one to allow any misconduct like that to, to occur. Does it happen from time to time? It has over a 28 year period. We've had a couple of incidents where, you know, we had things that we had to address as an agency and we did. But at the same point, if but you it's have not culture, daily life, no, and if you have the culture and you train your officers through ABLE and ICAT, and we've done a lot of uh, additional training, like implicit bias training, uh, cultural diversity training where we actually have community members um, are, that are leading this and they train it from our recruits from day one on. Um, it really just shows how our agency is when it comes to addressing um, and laying the foundation for how we relate to the community. Yeah. Once you have that set, that's, that's the first step you have to have to build the foundation. And then from there, it can, it can really um, be something that you can be proud of because you're, you're doing what, what, uh, what you're supposed to be doing, exactly. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate so. you coming on and, and talking to us about that. I know it's been the topic of conversation all over the place. It, it certainly has, and I, and I applaud you for you and your, your listeners for being willing to tackle such a tough topic because it is something that uh, there needs to be discussion about it um, as, a, as a whole because um, it's, it's important, and it's something that when you look at um, the impact that a negative incident can have. Um, we need to do all we can to stop those negative incidents from, from occurring. And I believe discussions like this are the first step in that. So I, I applaud you, and I thank you for giving me the time. And uh, I look forward to listening to the rest of the show. Okay. Thank you for calling in. And we'll talk to you soon. All right. Okay. Before I introduce our guest today, I want to remind everybody that the FBI is telling you do not fly drones next weekend over the Super Bowl event. It's a felony. They will find you. <laughs> I know, John, you wanted to do that, right? They will find you. And you don't want to get arrested for a felony for doing something. And I wonder if they'd shoot it down. Then you'd lose your drone. Anyway, I don't know if they'd do that. That's just me thinking out loud. So in the studio, we have <laughs> Special Agent Brian Watson with the IRS. And we have Enrolled Agent Mark Barnes with Copper Canyon Tax Service, and we're going to talk taxes. How exciting is that? Hey, that, <laughs> we look forward to it every year. <laughs> yep, they're on every year, and let's let's just get started. Who wants to go? Start with Mark. Start with Mark. Mark All right, go. What Tell do we talk? What do we want to talk about first? Five twenty nine plan. What the heck is that? Five twenty nine plans. Okay, so five twenty nine plan <laughs> is a way for people to save for college costs for their children. 
And there's no deduction at the federal level, but many states allow for a deduction. So let's start with that. Don't This isn't a way to save on federal taxes. The money grows tax-free until it's used for college. And one of the problems historically has been that when your child is done with college, there's money left in the plan. So you either have to have another child or the money comes out and it's taxed. So last year, uh, President Biden signed the Inflation Reduction Act into law, and it made some major changes that will ultimately help a lot of people out. Um, One of the big changes here for 529 plans is when you're done with college costs, you now have the ability to take the money that's left over and roll that into Roth IRA accounts for the beneficiaries. Now, is there rules? Of course there's rules. Um, let's start with the first one. Don't run out today and open up a 529 plan and hope to roll this into a Roth IRA. The account needs to age for at least 15 years. <laughs> so this is something like, hey, if you're, you're if you have children, this is a potentially a good idea for you. Um, consult with your tax advisor to find out if it is or some other option is better for you. But the account needs to be at least 15 years old before you can do this. There is a limit. can be rolled from the account into a Roth IRA account and your annual limit will be the limit for Roth contributions for that year. So, How many of those Roth accounts can you have? This is going to be just, typically you want to have one. I mean, theoretically you could have 10 or 15 Roth accounts, but the limit is the limit. It's sixty five hundred dollars a year. It doesn't matter if you have one account or ten. It, you, it's a sixty five hundred dollar limit total. So it's not per account. Not it's per, per account. Person. It's, it's per person. Okay. Well, that um, stinks. Typically, for Roth contributions, you have income thresholds that you have to meet in order to be eligible to make those Roth contributions. Those are waived f- simply for this purpose. Okay. If you're rolling from your five twenty nine to a Roth. We're going to ignore the income limitations only for this item. Now, the problems that could arise from this, your kid does their own taxes. They do their own Roth contributions, and then you're trying to roll money from a 529 into a Roth. You've exceeded the threshold. That creates an excise tax. Nobody wants the excise tax. So there there needs to be a little bit of planning and thought that goes into this. But this is something new that's available. And if your account's 15 years older or older, it's an option that would be available to you. Shouldn't kids do their taxes once they, what, 16 or whenever they start earning money? They, well, as far as filing, they should file as soon as they have a filing requirement. Um, Which is? That doesn't mean that they should go do it on their own. <laughs> True that. So when <laughs> There should you... be some oversight. Like, I'll be doing my child's taxes for as long as I can to make sure that everything is done properly and that the planning that we've done as parents is integrated in with the planning that they do as they become an adult and get a job and start doing their own planning. Um, as far as the filing threshold, if you're self-employed, $400 of net income or gross income, I'm sorry, is your threshold before you have a filing requirement. And if it's earned income like wages then you have the standard deduction amount, which is about $13,000 right now. Um, there's some other variables in there like interest and dividends, and those would fall into your your uh, standard threshold of about 13000 as well. I thought it was $600. $600 is the threshold for a 1099 filing. 
We have different thresholds for everything. Welcome to America. Well, <laughs> thank God there's people like you who can figure all this out because it's not sticking in my brain, but okay. So, healthcare credits. Healthcare credits. So, if we flash back uh, 13 years ago, we had the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act that was signed into law with President Obama, and that allowed for a premium tax credit to be available to individuals that were buying insurance through what's known as the marketplace. Now, some of you may call this Obamacare. It's all the same thing. Um, But if you bought insurance through the marketplace and your income was in a qualifying zone, you would qualify for this credit. And historically, that's been between 100 and 400% of the federal poverty level. And so it depended on your family size as to what that dollar amount would be. And the poverty level changes each year, so this number went up. And the problem with it was at 400%, it was just a cliff or a waterfall. So imagine you're you're going down the river in a raft and everything is going good, and then all of a sudden there's a waterfall and you just fall off the edge and that's the end. <laughs> and so if you got to a Oops. situation where your income was 401%, you went from potentially getting a subsidy to having to pay back anything that you had received as a subsidy. And so it was like a very hard edge on this. So under the Inflation Reduction Act, this has now been modified, and it's 8.5% of your adjusted or your taxable income. So we don't have a 400% cliff anymore, and it really kind of opens up the window for people. Like if you're a family of four, it opens up a window where 75000 wasn't your hard cutoff anymore, and it kind of opens that up to potentially one hundred and five or 110000 and you could still qualify for some subsidy. So now 8.5%, your, your premiums can't exceed 8.5% of your income is basically what it boils down to. So if you make $100,000, you don't have access to health insurance through your employer, you're buying it through the marketplace, your premiums wouldn't be able to exceed 8.5% or you would get some type of a premium tax credit on your tax return or through the marketplace if you chose to apply it directly to your premiums. Okay, we're talking Medicare? No, we're talking standard health insurance. Standard, okay. Just want to be clear. Yeah, and this is people that have no access to other insurance. So if you have an employer that offers insurance and you don't like it, too bad. You cannot get a premium tax credit. If your spouse has access to health insurance and you don't like it, you can't get a premium health credit. But what credit. if you file separately? That's a that's a separate, whole different, long conversation that we don't have time for. Um, <laughs> but as soon as you are on Medicare, then you have other qualifying insurance, so you wouldn't qualify for a premium tax credit as soon as you get to 65 and qualify for Medicare. Okay. All right. So this is really the standard worker that is generally working for a smaller employer where they don't offer health insurance and you don't have access to any health insurance through an employer or other. And so you would be shopping separately through the marketplace and picking up a plan there. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Say something. No. You look like you want to. No, I'm just I'm no, anticipating <laughs> your questions. <laughs> Taking notes feverishly. Okay, what changes are there to the 401k and the 403b? So the inflation reduction, it's funny. We had a couple of different acts last year, and one, the initials are IRA, 
but it really has nothing to do with retirement. It's only amusing to tax people, maybe. <laughs> um, and then we had a whole other bill that covered a bunch of different things. But 401ks, we got a lot of changes to 401ks. And I do want to say one thing before we get into this. Over the last several years, possibly the last decade, what we've had is Congress making last-second decisions, oftentimes in December, making things retroactive to the prior January. And it's been a nightmare. It's really hard to plan. It's really hard to get things done. And it's really hard for us to have a decent comment period on tax law when it's all retroactive. So with these new acts that were signed, most of the stuff that I'm talking about is future. So for 401k and 403b plans, these are items that will start to take effect in 2025. So we have time to do something with this, time to get this out, talk to our clients, make sure that these plans, especially if you're on the other side of this and you're the plan administrator, um, what we're going to have going forward is most small plans are going to have an automatic enrollment criteria as you go forward. So when you establish your plan, it's going to discuss what are the terms for being eligible to enroll in your 401k plan? What's the waiting period? Is it right away? Is it 90 days? Is it a year? The plans are also now going to outline what the automatic contributions are going to be. And so when you get a new job and they have a 401k plan, instead of you having to fill out paperwork to opt in, you're automatically going to be enrolled in the plan as soon as you're eligible, and they will start to withhold. This number could be anywhere from 3% to 10% of your pay, and it's set so that it's going to increase 1% annually until it does hit 10%. So if your new employer says, hey, we're going to start you at 3%, and that would be in the plan documents, it would take seven years before you got to the 10%, but it's going to be an automatic withholding from your check that they're going to contribute to your retirement account. Now, if you don't want to participate, you can opt out. But we're going to put the burden now on the employee to opt out of the plan instead of putting the burden on the employee to opt in. And if we apply this to anything else, you went and you bought an appliance, what do they ask you? Do you want an extended warranty on that? What do we say? No. And that's the end of the conversation. So if they said, hey, here's your new appliance and it already has this warranty that's built in, but if you don't want it, you can fill out all this paperwork, what's going to happen? a lot more warranties would be sold. And so it's the same kind of a theory where we're going to get people involved in 401ks and saving for retirement, and they don't have to, but they're going to have to take additional steps to opt out of these plans in the future if they don't want to participate. So when did the IRS begin accepting the 2022 tax returns? So January 23rd. It started, um, so what it's been about a couple weeks now. And they send them in care of you? Uh, thankfully, no. <laughs> you know, and we want people to file electronically. Like, that's the, that's the big thing that we're pushing every single year. But especially now, and we saw what happened during COVID where people were filing returns by paper and they were just ending up in piles at IRS offices. Yeah. Because it takes a lot of time. Someone manually has to enter all that information. We're over 90% now with electronic filing. Everyone out there, keep it up. We want to get to 100% someday. I don't think that's going to happen. No, people still have passbooks. <laughs> Do you know that, Sherry? Yeah. Some banks actually still <laughs> offer passbooks. And, you know, and it, it's the same thing with like direct deposit. Yeah. You know, 
everybody's going direct deposit when you get your social security or and it's so your, much easier it's so much easier i mean what i guess what did we do back then we actually went to, to the drive bank to every the friday bank. yeah <laughs> and remember yeah but even remember when before atms opened up people were a little leery about that yeah i'm gonna put my check inside of a machine and what it's going to shred it? Yes. So, no. <laughs> Electronic filing combined with direct deposit is the best way to get your refund very quickly. I want to ask about PIN numbers. Because yes. I, I... I got one. <laughs> I think I do, too. But do you tell, Mark, do you tell people you should apply for a PIN number? Absolutely. Arizona was one of the first states where it was opened up that everyone could have an identity protection pin and that was one of the first things we sent out yeah go do it it's every january you're going to get a letter from the irs that has your new pin that pin only works for that one year so it's a new number don't every year. lose it don't lose it um if you do go to google type in ip pin identity protection pin yeah your recovery. name and what's my rec- <laughs> it'll take you right to the, an irs website where you can put in some information and it'll recover your pin for you but what this does is this stops people from electronically filing a tax return with your information on it if it doesn't have the pin it will get rejected and we've had people that forgot to tell us they had a pin we file it and it gets kicked back so it, it protects you it protects if you're expecting a refund it protects your refund because if someone else files for you, I got some bad news for you. You're going to be waiting a long time for that to get sorted and, you know, long time before your refund shows up. I just, I'll add with what Mark said is perfect. And I finally got one, a pin. I applied for it in November, December. It only took five or 10 minutes online because I've been telling people to do it for years. So I figured as a PIO, I should be, I should actually follow through. But think of it as a password for your tax return. Yeah. Um, originally, it was only reserved for people who were victims of a tax-related identity theft. Then they piloted it. I remember Ar- that. Arizona yeah. was one of the 10 states, and then now everyone can opt in nationwide. So, yes, it, and I actually think my personal prediction is it's going to be a requirement for everybody someday. It's just an extra it layer. Well, Because the problem is so many of our social security numbers have been compromised and other personal information. So it's just – and it's a headache if someone files a return – for you without your permission and takes your refund. So, yes, the PIN is a great thing. So go to irs.gov and check it out. Or gets a refund that they don't qualify for. That <laughs> oh, would... yeah, because if they file for you, they're not using your actual information. They're just making something up. And then, They're yeah. getting a refund. They're skipping town. And then you're left to pick up the pieces. And it could, I mean, we've had them take up to a year before it gets sorted out and before the refunds are issued to the proper person. So it's really, if you're waiting on a refund... Get a pin. Get a pin. Now, should people, parents like to apply for a social security number for their children, should they apply for a pin as well? They can. It's not the same process. Okay. Um, Adults, you can jump online. You can apply for it online and you'll have it, as Brian said, in a couple of minutes. For children, it's a paper application that has to be sent in. So it's a little more so children, you're talking under the age of 16, 15, what? I don't know what their cutoff is. I would assume Mark, minors under this. 18 years old would probably be the category. Okay. I'm a loan officer. Everybody knows I'm a loan officer. One thing that makes me a little crazy is when I get a senior citizens come in and you ask them for their tax returns and they say, oh, we don't have to file them anymore. We don't make enough money. Mark, what say you? That could be true. 
Um, uh, we discussed, you know, you have a filing threshold as a child. You also have a filing threshold as an adult, and you have a filing threshold as a senior citizen. So there could be a case where maybe you have a couple of dollars of interest from a savings account and your only other source of income is Social Security. You aren't required to file. You don't have a filing requirement. Nobody's going to come get you. Um, Are you sure? That's separate (laughs) from... Should you? There's lots of programs out there, and there's people that can help you with that for low costs, like Vita. Um, But if you're filing a tax return every year, then you know that someone else isn't filing one for you. Exactly. Because as a senior citizen, you stop filing. Somebody could be filing a tax return with your name on it, and suddenly you get a message in the mail when the IRS finally finds you, and you could owe thousands hundreds of thousands of dollars that somebody else has claimed as refunds with your name on it so i i encourage people to file even if you don't have a requirement and get a pin and get a pin get a pin and do it just to protect yourself and it's not fun i never liked this time of year but that's why i didn't go into the business so tell us about some of the most recent crimes that are happening so scams or, or criminal cases? Criminal cases. I want I want the dirt. <laughs> Absolutely. So we had a busy January in our office at IRS Criminal Investigation. We had a trial in downtown Tucson. It was a, a lady named Zonia Wright. She's from Connecticut, but she was charged out here along with some other individuals. They were involved in this publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes scam. And basically, they called people up and told them they'd won the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes. <laughs> and of course, the catch, you know, that you get excited, you think you won, and then they're going to ask, say, they'll follow it up and say, you need to pay a tax related to it, like federal taxes, or you need to pay a processing fee. And what these people were doing, which makes it so egregious, they, they were using lead lists, basically lists of people to call all over all 50 states, but they were calling people who were 80 plus. So they're really targeting people who, who thought they could um, manipulate. Exactly. So um, this was a trial and we had a jury and, um, you know, we had it was it's an IRS, FBI, HSI, postal inspection case. Uh, my supervisor, who's a um, IRS uh, supervisory special agent, he testified as the FBI agent testified. They did a great job. Jury just loved them. <laughs> and um, even though the defendant took the stand and, you know, she tried to say, I didn't do this. The jury didn't buy it, and she was convicted of um, conspiracy to commit money laundering. And her, um, her basically her ex-husband's already pleaded guilty, and another co-conspirator's pleaded guilty. But the, these scams are brutal. How, but much, was, how much time did they get? Um, they haven't been sentenced yet. Oh, this but, is but, um, fresh off the But press. a lot of these, um, a lot of these um, this group that we're investigating through the U.S. Attorney's Office, a lot of them are, are coming out of Jamaica. And there's a lot of there's a lot of criminals that are involved in this kind of scam. So it's a win for the government. We're very excited about that. Um, we also had some recent pleas on a, in an alien smuggling case. IRS does work that on the criminal side because money you go laundering. after aliens. No, no, we go after the people that like UFO thing. No, no, no. <laughs> so we go after the people that are bringing people into the country illegally, but we're getting them on the money side. So um, we just had three recent guilty pleas, uh, a Guadalupe Ballesteros, Guadalupe Lua, and Gabriela Shirley all pleaded guilty to money laundering in connection to their roles in this alien smuggling organization. I mean, this is a... 
an organization where 20 people were indicted. So, and we're always working this with another agency. This would be, in this case, uh, Homeland Security. We work cases with FBI. But over the um, the umbrella would be U.S. Attorney's Office. They're the ones who lead these investigations. And um, so it's just, you know, it's 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 nonstop. Um, you know, whether we're working tax fraud cases or working fraud cases like this postal, um, I'm sorry, this um, publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes, or these uh, alien smuggling, you know, it's like, yes, we're involved in those. So if you're an alien, you were smuggled, and they, you paid somebody 20000 30000 to be smuggled into a country, you should send them a 1099, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just kidding. I have no comment on that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you want to get a little money back, don't you? What are the more common um, tax return processes that, you know, you should be very careful about who you hire to do your taxes? So return prepare fraud is something that keeps us very busy. And uh, 55% of Americans use a paid return prepare. And we love them. We love guys like Mark. We love the Mark's uh, friends in the tax prep community, because the vast majority of them are honest, ethical, they're professionals, but we have ones that keep us busy. And we're seeing a scheme right now, and I know Mark's very aware of this scheme, is these, not that he does it, but he's aware of it because he knows the bad people do it. They are creating fake Schedule Cs. Fake Schedule Cs are basically a, a, a business. Think okay. of it as a, a mom-pop business, some small business. Well, years past, we used to see them create the fake businesses to qualify their clients for the earned income tax credit. They'd actually put fake income on a return to move them up to a certain level where they would get the earned income tax credit. Now, you know, we've been kind of attacking that from the IRS side, finding the fraud there. Well, now we're seeing them creating the fake businesses, but the businesses now have a loss. And the loss is there to bring their W-2 income down, their overall total income down to kind of a, a sweet spot where they can get the earned income tax credit or just to reduce their overall income. And why? Because the client gets a better, re- bigger refund. And then the return preparer can charge more because there's more forms on the return. And then also it gets more people in the door. Everyone says, oh, Joe over at ABC Tax Prep is getting me a huge refund. Well, people hear that. They want a piece of that action, and then everyone starts going there. Well, and what happens? September, October, when that letter comes from IRS or from the Arizona Department of Revenue, who pays the extra taxes? It's not Joe at ABC Tax Prep. It's the taxpayer. It's the taxpayer. And just in case... This is a disclaimer. We don't know if there's an ABC taxpayer. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Joe. If your name is Joe and you actually own that practice, we're Sorry. not... Uh... We're not picking on you. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a few. Law Matters Live show airs every Saturday morning at 8. Cochise County Sheriff Mark Daniels will host next week's show and tell you what's really going on on the southern border. Law Matters is funded by your generous donations. Please visit our sponsorship page located on lawmatters1030.org to join our mission and keep the conversation going. Law Matters podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and lawmatters1030.org. And please stop running red lights. It's a health hazard. Law Matters Live show airs every Saturday morning at 8. 
Our February 18th show will be a live debate between the independent candidates running for mayor. Law Matters is funded by your generous donations. Please visit our sponsorship page located on lawmatters1030.org to join our mission and keep the conversation going. Law Matters podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and lawmatters1030.org. Thanks for staying with us. In-house, we have Special Agent Brian Watson and Enrolled Agent Mark Barnes. We're talking taxes, but I just want to remind people... I. We just heard in the commercial break that on the 18th of February, we'll be doing a a debate between the two candidates who are running as independents for mayor. So if you've got any questions you want to ask, send me an email. It's on our website, contact information. Send an email over and we'll consider your question. And might have to reword it, but we'll consider your question. (laughs) (laughs) And not a problem. Okay. Tell me more stories about what the IRS is doing and not doing. What we're doing and not doing? Yes. Um, well, I, th- want, I want to talk about a scam, a new scam variation. Okay. So very, everybody's, most people are familiar with the grandparent scam. It's right. a phone scam targeting grandparents. And what it is is trying to scare them to think that their grandchildren are in trouble in, at the hospital, maybe in prison. And I've talked to people whose grandparents have actually fallen for the scheme. And it's high pressure, and you panic, and you end up losing money. And it's brutal. And so it, that's how these things work, is they, 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 they scare you. Well, this one's a new variation I just heard about. It happened to my friend, and now they're targeting young people. So I'm not going to give specifics on where it happened or the restaurant, but my friend's son was at a a fast food type restaurant, closing it at night by himself, maybe one other person. He gets a phone call from someone claiming to be a detective at one of our local police departments here and said, your boss, and they had his name, has been arrested. He's in trouble. He he needs to make bail. He's asking you to take money out of the cash register, walk over to the store, buy the prepaid card, give us the numbers. And even they're they're really good at this. They asked the kid, and I'm telling you, he's like 17 or 18, put your phone on Do Not Disturb because they don't want anyone to intervene. So he actually started the process of taking the money out and going to buy that card because, one, he wants to – he's following orders from law enforcement. He's following orders from his boss, boss. and he cares about his boss. And what is he going to do, say no to a police officer? You yeah. know. So um, if if you have kids that work a job like that, let them know about this scam. And also, if you own a restaurant, any sort of business like that, talk to your own young employees. You know, because sometimes with these scams, we, we pick on peop- the seniors thinking, oh, they're going to always be the ones who fall victim, fall prey to these scams. But young people are gullible are gull- and, 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 or more just like following orders, you right. know, or maybe just naive. And, you know, it's a lot of times it's hard to stand up to an adult. Sure. When you're 17, 18 years old, because there's a, a difference in power there. But man, I heard this and I thought, wow, the, you know, these criminals are so ingenious. Coming up. And with, luckily, yeah. though, my, my friend kind of figured out something was up when he tried to reach his son and couldn't. He ended up calling the police and said, something weird is going on. I think he may have been using a Live 360 app on the phone because he, he wasn't where he was supposed to be. He ended up getting to the business around the same time as the police department did and they kind of figured it all out and uh, but it's they squashed it they squashed it but it could have gone bad really quick 
Yeah. You know, we weren't talking a crazy amount of money because most of these restaurants now are not cash based. You right. know, most people are using pay with a card. They're paying with credit or debit card or some, you know, Apple Pay or whatever. So, but I heard that story and I just wanted to share it with with people out there in radio yeah, world. Look at all the teenagers we have out there working. Yeah. This is a good thing. I want to know I've I've got your notes over here. I want to know what is pig butchering so it's kind of a brutal name (laughs) i learned about this and um i was like what the heck is that so it's a latest variation of the romance scam a lot of people are familiar with the romance scam where someone finds you online starts saying nice things about you uh before you know it you're you're talking to each other like your boyfriend girlfriend and um you know a lot of these romance scams target um older people that are widowed widowers Usually, I would say over sixty, um, and and before you, you know, a lot of times if they um, people know that you don't just send money to someone you don't know, they know that's the romance scam because eventually the romance scam gets to the point where I'm stuck in an oil rig in the offshore, or um, I'm stuck in this country. My credit card was declined. I need money, so people know not to fall for that. So this one's different. These criminals find people online, romance them. Say nice things about them. Send them flowers. Send them poems. You're my, you know. These say nice are all things. virtual things, though. Oh, They'll send is... you virtual flowers. Oh, virtual poems. It, <laughs> exactly. But you're getting showered with affection online. But then instead of asking for money, they say, "Hey, I have a great investment for you. You've heard about cryptocurrency. You've heard about Bitcoin. Why don't you? I can. I. You want to invest so your grandchildren have lots of money someday, right? I'll, I'll get you in on this. Well. They give them a little QR code and have them go down to a local store, a little Bitcoin ATM, put money in there, and they put all this money in there, all this money, and they think they have control over the account, and they don't. And then this is where the term pig butchering comes in. It's from the Chinese word shaozu pan, and it's because the scheme originated out of China. The con man builds up this month-long relationship online, and then eventually, you know, they basically fatten them up emotionally. That's the whole pig analogy. And then eventually, you know, they've, they've enticed them to invest in crypto, and then eventually they metaphorically slaughter them, basically just cut them off, and they take all the money. I know somebody you know, this happened to. Mm-hmm. Over $400,000. Poof, gone. Yep. I, I, I met a lady. Yep. I spoke to a lady on the phone. She lost $750,000, lost her house, um, and actually got her friend involved in it, too. And uh, she's... And she's a very smart woman. She's very embarrassed about it. Um, and so I, I've been telling her, you need to tell your story. You need to share that. But to that's what pig others. butchering is. The yeah. latest version of the romance scam. Do not invest money with anybody you do not know. You know, even if you think you have some QR code and you think it's your account, you don't have control over that money. It's brutal. So educate your parents. Educate your friends. It's It's brutal. Just look up romance scams on the Internet. And you'll see what I'm talking about. Yeah. Educate yourself. Absolutely. Don't push on links or open links on your computer. They'll email you and send you stuff. Don't do it. If you don't know who it's coming from, delete it. That's why I always delete your emails, Mark. Yeah. Well, So <laughs> that explains a lot. Tell me about any energy credits that people might get. Okay. So there's been some significant changes in the energy field. Um, and this includes cars, but we're not going to really talk about cars because that's a whole, that's another whole hour separate. But historically, we've had some energy credits since I believe 2005. 
And many of you probably participated in this at some point, and this would have been you upgraded your windows or doors or something of that nature. You take it into your tax preparer. They get you a credit. It was $500 lifetime. And for most of us, that $500 was used up a long time ago. And the IRS does keep track of that, so don't try to use it. Um, but it's a one-time thing. It's a it's up to five hundred dollars. So once you've done that five hundred dollar limit, you are done. That's you really, are done forever. That's really cheap. Um, so beginning in twenty twenty four, we now have a whole new section for clean energy, and this is going to apply to the same types of things: windows, doors, insulation, um, plus all the other standard things that you would think about, like solar on your house. But it also now includes um, charging stations, and we have a per year tax credit. So if you're thinking about doing something like solar, don't worry about it. It's a 30% credit based on the qualifying expenses, based on when that's installed. But if you're thinking about doing something like remodeling, and that remodel is going to include doors and windows, maybe that's the time to think about splitting that up and having part of that contract completed in November, December of this year, and then having the rest of it completed next January or February so that you can maximize this year's threshold, or 2024, so this would be two years down the road, maximize the credit that's available to you in 2024, and then on that same remodel, just under a different contract, maximize the tax credit that's available to you in 2025. as far as the solar goes, uh, I wish I had a date. I believe it's 10 years, but we're back to a 30% credit, which is what it was historically until the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Then it started to decrease by 2% each year. Uh, but we're back to 30%, and it stays at 30%, I believe, for 10 years. So we should be good through 32 or 33. Cool. And again, the, the government's doing things, and they're doing it out in the future now, which is like what they used to do. So there's a lot of changes, but they're in the future, and... I don't have them all memorized just yet. I'm so disappointed. What about digital assets? I know this is kind of a, a new thing for people. Tell us about digital assets. Well, the big thing last year, everyone was asked if you owned any, basically, if you owned any virtual currencies um, on your tax return. And But it's changed. So last year, you were asked if you... Yeah, if you owned any virtual currencies. This year, you're being asked about digital assets. So on on the 2020 tax return, this question will be, it's on the form, but then also if you do electronically, like using software, it's one of the questions that will pop up on the screen. And it will say, at any time during 2022, did you receive, um, sell, exchange, gift, or otherwise dispose of a digital asset? And basically, the IRS is basically saying, yeah, Anything with cryptocurrency, anything like that, you need to be reporting it. So they're not talking about the equipment sitting on your desk. They're talking about no, no, no. <laughs> so I'm like, and then so they changed it. So because digital asset covers more things. So the question is, what is, is digital asset? It is a digital representation of value, which is recorded on a cryptographically secured distributed ledger. That's a tongue twister right there. So common in, common digital assets include convertible virtual currency and cryptocurrency, stable coins, which I don't even know what those are, and then non-fungible tokens, which I think I know what those are. So that's why I'm kind of glad Mark's here. Maybe he Non-refundable can, tokens? Yeah, the NFT, NFTs. Fungible. Non-fungible tokens. So yeah. 
Here's the latest example of an NFT that probably everybody should be familiar with. Um, two, three months ago, Donald Trump came out with a set of digital trading cards. Oh, God. That's an NFT. That's a non-fungible token. You buy it with an assumption that it's going to have value and will have more value in the future. And so that that would be the type of thing. Somebody could make digital artwork, um, anything that somebody has done digitally that typically represents like a baseball card or other types of artwork would be uh, something that falls into the NFT category. Um, a stable coin is a digital coin, but it's tied to a specific real currency. So there's stable coins that are tied to the U.S. dollar. There's stable coins that are going to be tied back to the yen. So they they don't fluctuate in value like Bitcoin would. They have a more stable value because they are tied back to a digital or um, a real currency, but it's just a digital format of it. I'm confused. <laughs> it's... I don't even really know how to explain it. You're buying, you're buying something that doesn't exist, but its value is based on some country's currency. Okay. And then you would be able to spend it the same way, but instead of having a dollar bill, you would have a dollar stable coin. As and the you, world and moves you do to it a more on digital. Your, and you do it on your computer or your, your phone. Correct. Instead of your wallet. Yeah. Your physical wallet. Your physical wallet, you're using your digital wallet. Okay. Now that we've confused everybody, <laughs> so we, we've got that. Okay, here's a question for you. Ask about Forum 1040. It was your question. Ask about Forum 1040. Uh, Do you, did you forget? No, no, that, that's on Forum 1040. Um, that's, yeah, so that's the question that everyone's going to be asked on the Forum 1040 last year, this year. So okay. last year it was basically, and this it came out of no, it, it was like, wow, where did this come from? So last year it was asking if, if, um, if you owned any virtual currency. This year it's slightly been changed to digital, digital. assets. And that's okay. the big thing. There are people out there who think that, well, I'm just buying and selling Bitcoin and it's not regulated by the government, so it's not taxable. Well, there are a lot of ways that it could become a taxable event, and you need to educate yourself. So I would suggest one of two things, going to irs.gov and looking up either you know, virtual currencies or digital assets and seeing there's, we have sections that talk about what's taxable and what's not taxable. And if you need more information, hire a tax professional. What you don't want to do is be audited you know, a year or two from now, and you've run an entire business and you've received what we would deem income or taxable events and not be reporting them. And it could also, it could get you into a criminal case as well. So basically what the IRS is letting everyone know is like, yes, we're catching up to all this virtual currency, this cryptocurrency. And if you have something that's taxable, you need to report it. I'd like to add to that. Okay. When you're hiring a tax professional, especially for something like digital assets, you have to make sure that the person that you're hiring actually understands this. This is clearly an area where not everybody's on the same page. There's a lot of stuff happening in the digital world. And if you walked in the door and you said, hey, I own some digital assets and I have income from staking, if they don't know what you're talking about, that's not the person to hire to manage your tax return that has digital assets on it. 
if they're not familiar with terms like airdrops or hard fork, keep shopping. Like this is an area where there's a lot of people in the tax world that just simply don't understand what this is. So you can't go to anybody. You need to find somebody that specializes in that type of a tax return. Okay. Is there like a dictionary someplace where people can <laughs> look up these words that you're using? It, it's a, it's like learning a foreign language. Um, that's really the best way that I can describe it. When you get into the digital side of things, it's you may as well just prepare to learn a, a foreign language because it's all different terminology than what most people are used to. Yeah. And it's a whole, like, it's just a whole new language. So how do people get in touch with you? <laughs> You can visit our website at coppercanyontax.com or give us a call at the office at 520-344-4149. And you'll be there to help everybody. How can people get in touch with you, Brian? Well, you can... (laughs) (laughs) By doing screw up and you will meet Brian. No, No, no. No, no, no. I tell everybody this all the time. Both these people want you to pay your taxes. One of them uses a gun. So, <laughs> so Brian, tell them how they can get help from the IRS. So we really recommend people using our website, irs.gov. It's right. a great website. I would start there. Um, we The phone situation's been a little rough. If you researched the percentage of calls that were answered last year, it was only 13%. It was brutal. A lot of that is just staff shortaging. There was still covid things like that. We've hired about 5,000 new employees to get the phone numbers up, but I still refer people to irs.gov as well. But also, you know what's cool? You can make an appointment and meet with someone face-to-face. Downtown Tucson, we have taxpayer service. It's appointment-based, so you don't just show up. But go to irs.gov in the search box, type in find your local office, you go there, you actually can make an appointment. So we're respecting your time, which is a good thing, because I've seen times where there's a line out the door yeah. back in the, you know, a few years ago. You're going to meet with someone who can answer your questions, if, especially if there's a discrepancy on your account. You made a payment. It's not showing up. You're getting letters that you shouldn't be. Make that appointment. Talk to a real human being. But irs.gov is a great resource. Okay. I want to remind everybody I won't be here next week. Cochise County Sheriff Mark Daniels will be taking over the show and he's going to tell you what's really going on on the border. And I encourage everybody to tune in. Also, on the 18th, we'll be hosting a debate between the two independent mayor candidates. And if you have any questions, send me an email, put your question in an email, and we'll consider that for the show. And it should be fun. It should be a fun show. I want to thank both of you, Brian, Mark, and Captain Tim Reese for calling in as well and keeping us appraised of what's going on. And stop running red lights. On the way here, somebody ran a red light. I mean, just it couldn't be any redder. Boom, right through the red light. It's dangerous. Stop it. And until next week, shop local, stay safe. live show airs every Saturday morning at 8. Cochise County Sheriff Mark Daniels will host next week's show and tell you what's really going on on the southern border. Law Matters is funded by your generous donations. Please visit our sponsorship page located on lawmatters1030.org 
to join our mission and keep the conversation going. Law Matters podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and lawmatters1030.org. And please stop running red lights. It's a health hazard.